Blog Talk Radio. You are listening to the Run to Daylight Football Funcast with your host, Todd Burroughs. I'm your host, Todd Burrows, and this is our weekly best ball show for Fanball. Um, it will be posted along with an article today, and um, my special guest today is Mike Taglieri. Mike is the lead NFL writer and analyst for Fantasy Pros. He's the co-host also of the Fantasy Pros football podcast. Top six ranked twice in Fantasy Pro's Accuracy Contest, something that I know is highly sought after among experts uh, who submit to that. And you can find him on Twitter at Mike Tagley Air NFL. Mike, how are you? Did I say your name right the first time? <laughs> you got it right when you were saying the Twitter name, definitely. No, it's, it's good to be on with you, Todd. It's, I know it's the offseason and all, but uh, definitely look forward to talking football. Yeah, it was a um, a blunder uh, caused basically because you had trouble logging in the way you wanted to, and we were getting you on the phone, so I was a little off my game. I also forgot <laughs> to mention that Fanball is the new host of MFL 10, and it is the same format that you've always loved, but there are more options and more fun, um, as well as more states. One of the big situations that MFL was finding themselves in was that it was hard to compete in all the states. So places like Massachusetts and other uh, states that were not allowed to play last year, welcome back. And, again, I digress a little. Mike, how are you today? I'm doing good. I'm doing really good, trying to keep up with all this free agency, all the news. Meanwhile, trying to uh, watch as much tape as possible on all the rookies that are coming into the draft. Uh, next month, so it's it's an exciting time for the NFL. Maybe not for everybody, but for those listening to this podcast, you're probably just about as excited as we are. Exactly. If you do best ball, this is one of my favorite times of the year because it's you know, as you get closer to the year, Mike, more questions get answered, and it's easier for just someone who's casual based on ADP to draft. Now, you know, if you're good at inferring situations, you can get a big advantage. I definitely agree with you. This is where the best value can be had. I mean, even going back and looking at, at last year's best ball teams, you know, some of the things that really shook up my teams was drafting Sammy Watkins when he was in Buffalo in the trade. Those are things that you obviously cannot predict, but this is the time of the year where you can get tons of value. And, you know, with some people overvaluing some players that have moved to new spots that we're going to talk about today, uh, you can definitely, definitely find some value in drafts right now. Yep, and one of the things that is part of human nature, it's part of the stock market, and therefore it's always part of drafting, is identifying 
where there might be some over-enthusiasm and some under-enthusiasm, correct? Absolutely, and that's the thing. is Most of the time it's like, you know, if you, if you play in a dynasty league, a lot of those times when you know, people overvalue rookie picks because it's the new shiny toy that everybody wants. It's the same thing with free agency. When, it, when a player goes to a new team, you know, you automatically want to assume that it's going to increase their fantasy stock, but that's not really not the case with a lot of these players, you know. Um, we saw it last year, even, you know, when we talked about Sammy Watkins going to the Rams on short notice. A lot of receivers, when they go to an offense, you know, it, it takes them some time to build some chemistry with quarterbacks, and it takes some time to learn the offense. So uh, there's definitely some things that people are missing uh, in free agency, and there's also some things that are really, really helping players uh, that we'll talk about that I think people are missing as well. So, yeah, on both ends of the spectrum, I think that there's definitely things being missed. Yep, and you mentioned an interesting thing, and we won't go into it too deep, but it does apply to best ball as well about draft picks. Draft picks are like the girl you haven't dated yet, right? You know, <laughs> you, you don't know what her flaws are or, or the problems that, you know, a relationship with that person might be. Um, you know, you just know the, the problems and the flaws and the blemishes of what you can see. Um, and, and that's why smart dynasty drafters are often able to turn draft picks into um, – valued older players like Mike is the commissioner of my first ever best ball league and I traded a first round pick for Travis Kelsey and that's pick turned out to be I think 112 or 13 so um you know you can you can definitely get some advantages by trading draft picks um let's get to some of the free agent moves Mike what do you think of the landing spot of the not only the premier quarterback in this free agent market, but it really is very unusual in modern uh, NFL to see a quarterback of Kirk Cousins' quality on the free agent market. What do you think about the move to Minnesota? The move to Minnesota has a lot of people excited, obviously going to play with uh, Kyle Rudolph, Stephon Diggs, Adam Thielen. It's got a lot of people excited, but at the same time, you have to dial back expectations here. I don't think Kirk Cousins really gained much from going to Minnesota. And I say that because, you know, he's going to an elite defense that arguably got better this offseason. Uh, adding Sheldon Richardson in free agency was massive up the middle for them. So it, it's a defense that's not going to allow, you know, 25-plus points per game like the Redskins have over the last few years. So naturally it's going to dial back some of his pass attempts. Now you can make the argument that he's going to be more efficient, but that's really difficult to do because if you look at Kirk Cousins', Cousins efficiency numbers while in Washington, they were really good. I mean, when you look at his yards per attempt, his completion percentage, all those things, they were really good in Washington. So it's really hard to see him improving on those numbers. So if anything, he might be a little bit more consistent because of the, you know, the options that he's got to throw to. But at the same time, their run game is a lot better than it was. Dalvin Cook's going to come back. I'm not really worried about the ACL. Latavius Murray, the backup. I mean, they want to run the ball. And, that, you know, they have the defense that's built to do that. Kirk Cousins is the type of quarterback that can win them a game if the defense lets them down. I just don't see that happening all that often. So, uh, unfortunately, this for Cousins, I still believe he's in the QB1 conversation, but I think he's more of a consistent quarterback for season-long leagues than he is for best ball. I just don't see him getting to those 40 attempts per, you know, 40 attempts per game like we were seeing him do in Washington all so often. And, you know, I agree with that, and I think it's something that not everyone is – uh, focused on, nor is eloquent in how you put it. Um, Kirk Cousins was playing in a lot of, you know, high-scoring games in, in, in Washington, 
And I think that that's something that um, kind of leaves this, uh, for me, for best ball, kind of a neutral move and kind of someone where one of my strategies for best ball this year is to put one high-variance quarterback with one solid week-to-week mm-hmm. performer so you could take advantage of the high point weeks of your variance quarterback. Um, you know, so like pairing Cousins maybe with a Pat Mahomes a couple rounds later might be a nice idea. Um, how do you see the move, though, affecting the weapons around him? Adam Thielen was clearly Case Keenum's favorite target, while Stefan Diggs and Kyle Rudolph saw their, saw their stats go down some from when Sam Bradford was the quarterback. Um, I, I could make a case to where, while it might not help Cousins' numbers, it could definitely help some of the receivers. And the guy that I'm most interested in, because he is the one who's undervalued right now, is Stefan Diggs. I'm with you 120%. Uh, you know, it comes down to who you believe is a better talent. And I believe that Stefan Diggs is the superior talent of the two. And honestly, even before Cousins came there, even before any of this happened, I had lowered Thielen on my board as soon as Pat Schrimmer left. Because if you go back to, not, not, not 2017, but go back to 2016, and you look at Adam Thielen's breakout and try and intertwine it with, with how, why did it happen? How did it happen? And it came when North Turner left the team, uh, and then Pat Schrimmer took over as the offensive coordinator. Obviously, Pat Schrimmer designed the offense differently, and it really worked towards Adam Thielen's favor, and that continued into 2017. So, you know, when, when you're starting a new relationship with a new quarterback, it's like, who is he going to target? And Stephon Dix played on the perimeter the majority of the time last year. You had Adam Thielen playing the slot. I don't see any reason that they would change that going into 2018. So here's the thing. If you look at Kirk Cousins when he was in Washington, did he target Jameson Crowder a whole lot? I mean, he did once Chris Thompson went down. We saw those targets go up. But Kirk Cousins isn't the type of check-down quarterback. He wants to chuck the ball down the field. He takes tons of attempts over 20 yards. So I think we're going to see Stephon Diggs uh, take a step forward in his career this year. If you, you know, Adam Thielen, he's going to be more of like, I think he's going to come with somewhat of a higher floor. But I don't think his ceiling is going to be what people are paying for him, which is they're drafting him in the top 18 wide receivers right now. I would, I would prefer Stephon Diggs over Adam Thielen this year. Yeah, definitely with the – the round-to-round-and-a-half value difference that we're seeing. Um, and, and I agree with you. I think Cousin has a better arm than Case Keenum, which, you know, plays. And if you think about it, Cousins never really had great outside wide receivers in Washington. So, I, But I do think he has the arm to get the ball to an outside wide receiver on a regular basis. Speaking of outside wide receivers, most of the reaction to Allen Robinson – signing in Chicago was that it wasn't an ideal landing spot. Personally, I think this is a sneaky landing spot with new head coach Matt Nagy there and a fourth-round ADP on Robinson. What are your thoughts on the signing, the player, and his current ADP? Yeah, I was kind of shocked when I heard that people thought it wasn't an ideal landing spot with Chicago. I mean, you look at the – you know, it, it goes back to the old theory of how you how you play fantasy football and how you look at everything, right? I mean, I, th- I believe – for me, with wide receivers, it's targets first, quarterback second, and then you know, the, um, every, like his talent, the wide receiver's talent third. Because if he's getting targeted, eventually it's going to lead to fantasy points. Even if it's you know Blake Bortles throwing him the ball in 2015, we saw Allen Robinson do that. So 
when people were talking about him going to San Francisco, it never really made much sense to me going to compete with Pierre Garçon, who's a, a somewhat of a possession receiver. You have Marquise Goodwin, who signed a long-term extension. Uh, you now have Jarek McKinnon there. there. There's so many things moving there where it's like Chicago, it seemed like the most natural fit. And it was like it made all the sense in the world. Allen Robinson is going to get targeted 140 times this and that. Now, I'm not going to sit here and say that the addition of Trey Burton doesn't hurt him because it really does. This is Trey Burton is the one player who I believe is maybe most undervalued coming out of free agency uh, by fantasy football players. And the reason I say that is because Trey Burton is coming over from the Eagles. And as you know, the Eagles, uh, they're, they're run by the Andy Reid coaching tree. Uh, yeah, it's Doug Peterson, yes, but it's Andy Reid coaching tree. That's what Matt Nagy is, right? So he's going to be playing in the exact same offense that he was last year in Philadelphia. He knows the offense that's huge to come in and take over for Adam Shaheen, who people were expecting a breakout from. You know, he's, he's a very young guy. I think he's 23, 24 years old. But Burton was brought in to make an impact right away. He's going to steal some of those targets from Robinson, but I still think Robinson's a lock for 120 targets. And when you get that many targets, you're pretty much locked into wide receiver two production. So I love Robinson. I, I like him as a fuller wide receiver. I don't think you're going to get the 150-yard, two-touchdown games, you know, if you know, if he were to go to a higher scoring offense or anything like that. But I do think you're going to get a solid, consistent producer in him. Yeah. And what, one thing I try and look at, Mike, when I draft my best balls is a guy that has talent, like you said, it, you can consider it third because at times it can't overcome certain factors. But mm-hmm. when I can get a guy at what his perceived floor is and he has talent, I know yes. that if things break right, I can get maybe second-round value out of an Allen Robinson where I can't from some other people. So I agree with you completely. The other landing spot that some people didn't feel ideal at wide receiver was Sammy Watkins going to the Kansas City Chiefs. For certain, it means that the Chiefs have two of the fastest wideouts in the league for strong-arm Pat Mahomes to throw to. What's your take on Watkins, the player, what we saw out of him last year, and if you think that he can kind of go back to what we thought he could be when he was in Buffalo. Yeah, this is kind of a loaded question because, you know, looking at everything uh, on the landscape of last year, people are going to say, well, where are the targets going to come from for Watkins? You know, they have Kelsey there. They have Tyreek Hill there. They have Kareem Hunt. And the thing is, is like you have to go away from that because Alex Smith was brought in there to be somewhat of a game manager. Uh, and even last year, you know, he took some shots down the field. He played extremely well. But Andy Reid designed the offense to fit Alex Smith's strengths. Patrick Mahomes is a different quarterback. You know, if you go back to Andy Reid's days in Philadelphia, his teams were in the top 15 pass attempts for, for nine years straight. So they're going to chuck the ball. The defense has been going downhill for quite some time. They lost some players. They cut some players. Uh, the defense is just not where it needs to be. So you're going to see more pass attempts out of this offense. But with that being said, I've always felt like Sammy Watkins, from a talent standpoint, has been undervalued by the fantasy community because they don't see the, the monster numbers that they kind of expected out of him. He's always played in an offense where they're throwing the ball less than 500 times. You know, he goes to the Rams two weeks before the season begins. I remember this because I was trying to get a, a picture for an article, and there was none because he basically didn't play with them throughout the entire preseason. So it's hard to walk into an offense with a new quarterback in gel, you know, with Jared Goff the way that people expected Sammy Watkins to now, with that being said, he's going to Mahomes. It's a new quarterback again. It's a new offensive system. We, we all get that. But at the same time, Mahomes is kind of like fresh. You know, he's walking onto the field fresh with Watkins. They have all offseason to work together. I think Sammy Watkins is 
is greatly more talented than Tyreek Hill. And looking at Tyreek Hill last year, he saw 105 targets in an offense that had no other viable wide receiver. Some people would say Albert Wilson, but I'm not going there. What I'm saying is he was the clear-cut guy. He never saw, I want to say there wasn't a game where he saw more than eight targets. So they don't view him as that number one guy. There's a reason they went out and spent $50 million on Sammy Watkins. I like Watkins better than Tyreek Hill. That best ball, I think they're both going to be fantastic players, but not where they're being drafted because people are still taking Tyreek Hill as like that high-end wide receiver too. I've seen him go as high as you know inside the top 12. Don't do that. Like, don't do that. He's going to be better in best ball, but at the same time, Sammy Watkins is going to see Even if he's like, let's pretend that you believe they're both, that you think they're both talented and they're both going to get targets, this and that. It's going to be very up and down because Travis Kelsey's going to get his. Kareem Hunt's going to get his. It takes upside off everybody in the offense. This was a better move for their football team than it was for fantasy. Yeah, I, I well, I, I love Watkins, and he's still, you know, the, the needle didn't move as much as I thought it would. Because I like the signing right away, but it didn't seem like many on draft Twitter felt the same way. You got to keep in mind a couple things, I think, that I'll add to Mike's point. One was that Sammy Watkins has a thousand yard career, uh, a year in his career, on only 60 catches. So, yeah, he might not get that you know, high-end 150 targets, but he's not the type of player who, who has shown that he needs them to be successful. He also had nine touchdowns that year. He also showed that he could score touchdowns in the red zone last year. When you watched him with the Rams and when Jared Goff tried to throw the ball to him deep, it was pretty evident that that's just not Jared Goff's strength, where it is Pat Mahomes' strength. I mean, the man has a serious gun and he can, you know, make time with his legs to set up plays. So, and the last point I'll make on why I like it is, if you want to pick between Hill and Watkins, fine. And I, I think you have to at some point. But the, just the fact that you've got both of them on the same team, can you imagine sending them both down the sideline, Mike, and you're the safety picking which one you're going to go give coverage to with Mahomes as quarterback? That puts a lot on of pressure on the defense. <laughs> Yeah, then you got to worry about Travis Kelsey and Kareem Hunt, too, who can both obviously catch passes uh, with the best of them. So, yeah, it, it, it's, it's a nightmare for opposing defenses for sure. Absolutely. <clears throat> Next player we're going to talk about went to the Green Bay Packers, Jimmy Graham. Um, I know that the Saints, where I really wanted to see him go, um, were in the bidding, but um, he ended up in Green Bay. His yards per catch last year plummeted from 14 to 9, which was odd on the second year off of a, an injury like the one he had. He finished his tight end number 7 last year and is going off the board in the seventh round as tight end number 6 this year. Ever since Jermichael Finley had that one good year, every year it seems that draft Twitter is talking about uh, not draft Twitter, but Twitter in general, is talking about the next Jermichael Finley. Do you see Jimmy Graham having upside beyond his current ADP at this age? No, absolutely not. And, by the way, Jermichael Finley was always overrated in fantasy football. Like, people always expected him to be something he never became. Uh, he had one season, I want to say, where he finished top ten, and that was really it. But, uh, you know, I'm not really excited about Jimmy Graham, and the reason I say this is, you know, I think we're entering a new era where Jimmy Graham and Rob Gronkowski kind of changed the tight end position, right? These guys, like Jimmy Graham especially, because he's not a great blocker. He's actually a bad one. 
but Jimmy Graham is a giant wide receiver playing the tight end position. You know, they line him up out wide more than they do his inline, and that's the thing. You know, he's now he's older. You, you see wide receivers like Calvin Johnson with that big body. It, it takes a toll on their body after so long. So when you look at Jimmy Graham and you're like, wow, this guy's older. He has a, almost a career-ending knee injury, and now he's, you know, he's, he's this age and he's signing with the Packers. And it's, everything to me says that Jimmy Graham is nearing the end of his career. And, you know, going to, from playing with Drew Brees to Russell Wilson, it's hard for me to say that Aaron Rodgers is a massive upgrade. Now, granted, I think Rodgers is the best ever. Like, he's, he's the best. But at the same time, asking Jimmy Graham to go to a new offense where Aaron Rodgers works a lot uh, on continuity in his offense. Like, he has so much trust in his wide receivers. They know where the ball's going to be. It's why you saw Devontae Adams take some time to acclimate to the offense. Losing Jordy Nelson is going to create a few extra targets, obviously, in the offense. But go back to last year. I mean, Martellus Bennett was younger. People had similar expectations for him. He was being taken as the fifth, sixth tight end in best ball leagues. And we saw it. He disappointed. He had no chemistry with Aaron Rodgers. You know, Jimmy Graham, I feel like it's going to be the same thing. You know, like I said, going, looking at him with Russell Wilson, there were eight games this year where he finished with less than 40 yards. I mean, no game where he totaled more than 72. He's very touchdown dependent. I would rather take someone like Jack Doyle in the middle of Or, like I said, Trey Burton, I think, is going to finish as a better fantasy option than Jimmy Graham. Wow, that, that's a hot take. I've been passing on Graham, the guy that I, you know, again, where you can get a guy at value and then he has the talent to do better. My, my, my eyes have kind of been shining on Hunter Henry so far this year. You mm-hmm. can get him a round or two later. Um, I know the ghost of uh, Antonio uh, Gates is still possibly there, uh, but I think that they finally got over the hump with that the second half of the year. Hopefully um, we're going to see the Hunter Henry breakout this year. I love Hunter Henry, and that's the thing. I feel like he's eventually going to catch up. He's someone I think can get cheaper than he should be right now, but I feel like he's going to creep up the board as we get closer to the year, whereas Trey Burton may not. Yeah. No, I love Burton. I mean, every time uh, Ertz was down, I was playing all the Trey Burton I could in DFS last year, and it worked out very well. Mm-hmm. Um, in a bit of a surprise, Carlos Hyde signed with the revamped Cleveland Browns. It is his home state, as he also attended Ohio State University. Hyde showed well in the past game last year, but Duke Johnson is still there. They've added Jarvis Landry, and there's still a chance, although it could be slight, that the Browns take Barkley with either the first or fourth pick in the draft. With an ADP of late third round, and now it seems he is dropping a bit into the fourth round, how do you rate Hyde, especially from a risk-reward perspective? There's a lot of risk here. Um, you know, when, when he first went there, it was like I wanted to like the move because going to a Browns team, now granted they had a Jarvis Landry and they have the passing options there. I get it. But bringing in Tyrod Taylor as their one-year starter, we know he's starting this year, they're going to go towards a run-heavy offense. There's no way that they're going to have Tyrod Taylor chucking the ball 550 times. It's not going to happen. We know that Hugh Jackson doesn't like Duke Johnson very much because, you know, he gets in, what, nine, ten touches per game, even when Isaiah Crowell was struggling. So, I wanted to like the move, but here's the thing. As time passed, we found out that the Carlos Hyde, the way the deal's structured, it's essentially a one-year, $5 million deal that they can get out of after this year. So if they draft Saquon Barkley, and it's really not out of the question, at number four, uh, Hyde's value goes down the tube. Like, I don't know if they, if they just cut him. I, I mean, they, they might keep him on the, on the roster as depth. I have no idea what they do there, but 
That's why his ADP, I think you see it dropping. I don't think it has so much to do with the actual landing spot. I mean, the Browns have a better, much better offensive line than the, than the 49ers did. But, you know, they're one of the top offensive lines, even though they just lost uh, Pro Bowl left tackle uh, Joe Williams this offseason. But, I Joe mean, Thomas. yeah, that's the thing. It's like I'm not I, – I can't get totally behind Hyde anymore knowing that with the way his deal is structured, I, I will not cross off them drafting Saquon Barkley at four. So – uh, unfortunately, he's really risk-reward, um, and I would prefer to wait. I would take someone else at the position right now. Yeah, I um, I, I really like the player. Uh, and, the, the, you know, if <clears throat> Barkley doesn't go there, we'll see. I would rather pay third-round price for Hyde, late third, early fourth, um, after the NFL draft when we know Barkley's not going to be there than even if he drops into the fifth round really going heavy on Hyde now. Um, the other mm-hmm. running back who made a ton of noise and whom uh, nobody, I think, has gotten more fervor coming out of free agency than Jarek McKinnon. J- Kyle Shanahan, I mean, he basically expressed a lot of man love for him, which, uh, again, seems to be almost universal with the experts I'm seeing. I've seen him start to creep into the third round of drafts. I, I know that um, in another half PPR format, I've seen him go in the second round. Do you share the crowd's enthusiasm for this move in draft ADP? Or do you, you know, I got to say, I I still wonder if they might bring in another running back. I think it's very possible they bring in a running back, but I think it crosses off the big name running backs. I think that they might wait until day three and add someone as like an early down back to go opposite uh, McKinnon. I I still think that they believe that that Matt Breida might be able to fill that role. But here's the thing. No matter how you feel about Jarek McKinnon, this is where most people get get everything mixed up. Is because that Jarek McKinnon coming out, he was the metrics freak. Everybody wanted him to be this. They wanted him to be that. They were disappointed because he never turned into the running back you wanted him to be. He was supposed to take over for Adrian Peterson. He lost the job to Matt Asiata. Then last year he took over for an injured Dalvin Cook, and then you know turned into a timeshare with Latavius Murray because McKinnon was never built to handle that type of workload. But here's the thing. Put your feelings aside in fantasy football and basketball, whatever, and, and, you know, look at the 49ers have told you everything that you need to know about Jarek McKinnon. The fact that they're paying him $30 million is ridiculous. Like, he was overpaid. He's, he, he walks in as the, I think he's the third highest paid running back in football right now, so it kind of tells you they're going to use him. They're going to get their money's worth out of him. They, they said they are going to have a role in the passing game, though so I kind of doubt it's as, it's as big as they're saying because, if you look at Jimmy Garoppolo down the stretch, he did not target running backs at all. You saw Carlos Hyde and Matt Breida's receiving numbers go down dramatically uh, as the year went on. But what you did see, you saw the carries per game go up. They actually, the 49ers averaged five more carries per game under Garoppolo than they did with Hoyer or, or Beathard. So, you know, going forward, we're expecting 25 carries per game from that 49ers offense. And it's Kyle Shanahan. And again, with Jimmy Garoppolo there, it helps everything. Jared McKinnon deserves to be drafted as a top 15 running back right now. I mean, if they add someone, a big name, let's say they brought in like Darius Geis or something like that, I don't think it's going to happen. But if they did and paired him, that's obviously going to lower the stock. But as of right now, I'm thinking it's like a day three running back that they're going to draft. And uh, that would still leave us with plenty of value for Jared McKinnon, who kind of by default is going to finish as a top 15 running back in Shanahan's offense if he remains healthy. And, and I get it, right? I mean, Kyle Shanahan has just been amazing for fantasy football players, and he's been amazing for running backs. 
I agree with you 100% on Jimmy Garoppolo as a guy who had a lot of hide last year. <clears throat> it was a little frustrating watching the games. Those dump-offs that he was getting just weren't there anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, the good news, if you're a 49er fan, is that <laughs> Garoppolo was completing a tremendous amount of passes down the field that the other quarterbacks weren't able to do or make. Um, you know, he had, McKinnon hasn't been the most efficient running the ball. And right. what, based on what you've said, I mean, even, and it's not just yards per carry. I know yards per carry aren't sticky, and the fact that he's been under four yards per carry the last couple years isn't the end of the world. But when you watch him, too, he just doesn't always seem to make the right cut and the right move, and he seems to run into defenders more than you would think for a guy who profiles like he does. I, I, I'm not saying you're wrong. And the other thing that some people have told me is, well, he's going to get the Freeman role. Well, Freeman is a completely different back. I mean, if you look at Freeman's lower body, I mean, his legs are mm-hmm. huge. He's going to, you know, I, McKinnon has been taken off the field for goal line his whole career. You want to tell me he's going to get some of it? Okay. You want to tell me he's going to be, um, you know, the Freeman in the offense? I have a little trouble with that. Just to answer a couple of those things, Mike, make me feel a little better about when I have to take him in the third round. Well, that's the thing is, without a running back now, who are you going to give those carries to? And I agree with you. He hasn't been extremely efficient uh, carrying the ball throughout his career. I think he profiles better as a timeshare running back, you know, who's getting those five to six, you know, targets per game in the passing game. But that's the thing. You don't pay someone $30 million to come in and do that. So I think they have a different view for him in the offense. And again, if they don't draft someone with a high pick, this is where that comes in. If they don't draft someone with a high pick, he's getting that, those carries by default. You're not going to give them to Joe Williams. You're not going to give them to Matt Breida. And, you know, Joe Williams, no matter what people think, he was almost cut last year before getting hurt. You know, he, he's just not the guy that I think that thought, they thought they were getting. So with McKinnon, again, it comes down to opportunity for running backs. And I, I say this over and over again. With running backs, it doesn't matter their age. You know, look at what they're being paid. If, if someone's being paid money, they're going to be on the field. And he's going to have value, and he's more of a splash player type guy anyways. He's not going to grind out those yards like you said. He's not going to be that early down workhorse that they're going to be giving, you know, 20 carries per game to. I put him right in that area of 13 to 15 carries per game, getting five, you know, four or five receptions per game, and that's going to be, that's going to be more than enough. And like I said, it's going to be that consistent factor because the team is getting better around him. The carries per game went up. The touches per game for running backs went up when Garoppolo took over. I just feel like the team's going to be in a much better situation than they were last year. And even if it is a timeshare, they're paying him too much money not to give him the ball. All right. I think that's all fair stuff. I, I will I will mention that, you know, they got carried away a bit because there was a bidding war, I think, with the Jets and the Bucks. Um, but And, and the, the last thing I'll say is that this time last year, well, not quite this time, but Kyle Shanahan showed a lot of man love for Joe Williams. So we know that that can fade. But overall, I, I agree with a lot of the things you said. And I'm going to move on to the next running back who goes into a very interesting situation. It was a bit of a surprise signing by the Titans, Deion Lewis, who many assumed you know, that the Titans were going to just let Derrick Henry have that three-down role. What's your take on the move for both players? Keeping in mind, for now, both are still at times going together in drafts 
I had one this weekend where both went in the third round of draft. Yeah, it's kind of nuts to see them going that high together. I mean, there's no way that they're going to finish two, you know, third or fourth round, uh, you know, picks and drafts because there's a reason that they started building through the draft last year, getting some pass catchers for Marcus Mariota. They're not going to be that exotic smash mouth anymore. Keep in mind, it's going to be a brand new team uh, going forward. Deion Lewis is someone that I, I would have preferred the 49ers go after him and pair him with an early down guy, and he could share more of that early down role. Uh, like, a, you know, like I said, no matter how we feel about Jared McKinnon and his talent, you know, that's separate. But Deion Lewis, we, it didn't do anything for me with Derrick Henry because Derrick Henry was somebody I knew they were going to bring in a running back. My, actually, my mock draft that I had two weeks prior to that signing even happening, I had uh, them taking Sony Michelle in the second round. And I, I thought that would be an excellent pairing for Michelle to go there. But unfortunately, they signed Deion Lewis. So that kind of ruined my plans. But Deion Lewis is going to walk in there and kind of think of it in the Christian McCaffrey type role with more one-two down work. Like, he's not going to come in and steal Derrick Henry's job. The reason that they brought him in is because Derrick Henry cannot block. He cannot catch passes on third. Like, that's the thing. He's not a pass catcher. He's a one-two down back. You need that third that third down running back who can stand and pass block for Marcus Mariota because, as of right now, that's all they need to be concerned with because Marcus Mariota hasn't been able to stay upright throughout his career to this point. So, Deion Lewis, regardless of his small stature, he's actually a phenomenal, one of the better pass-blocking running backs in the NFL. So, um, he's going to be on the field. Derrick Henry, right now I have Derrick Henry as like that middling RB2 where he definitely lost a lot of upside here because he's not going to be catching any passes. So without a touchdown, he's going to hurt you. Deion Lewis is more of a, you know, the high-end RB3 where it's like he's going to have that consistent value. He's not going to score too many touchdowns. I would assume Deion Lewis scores three, four touchdowns tops, but he will get all that receiving work. So Deion Lewis is the more consistent one. Derrick Henry is going to be a bit more boomer bust. Yeah, I, I, I look at it like this. I think that it would be unsafe to assume that Henry's going to get all the one first and second down work. I think you have to plan on Lewis getting some of that work as well as the third down work, um, which which to me puts you know Lewis kind of in that fourth, late fourth, fifth round uh, range of where I would draft him, and it moves Henry back to the sixth, seventh round, where I'm not going to get him. At least it doesn't Mm -hmm. seem that way to this point. But that's just my take on it, Mike. There's just a little bit too much built-in risk-reward there with with Henry, and it's like how high was the upside to begin with? You know what I mean? Like He's not going to be the type that's going to catch 30-plus passes per year. So it's like, how high was the upside really with Derrick Henry? Like, I think you could have made the case that he was like right around that 10 to 12 running back range because of all the carries that he was going to be locked into. But like I said, I I don't think that he was ever going to have this role. So I'm with you in the fact that Derrick Henry is really not worth the the risk there because we we just know that there's a ceiling in terms of what what the Titans want him to do or don't want him to do. Yep. Um, Case Keenum had a career year last year and was signed by the Broncos. What are your thoughts on this move and how it might affect both Demarius Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders, who have both seen sharp ADP drops from last year so far? Well, that's, that's another thing is, you know, I, I say it all the time on our podcast. And I, I say that coaching matters in the NFL more than anything. So going from Pat Shermer calling your offense to the Broncos with, you know, I, I don't even know who they're going to have call the plays this year, honestly. <laughs> is it going to be Bill, Bill Musgrave? Are they going to but like let him handle all those things, the, the entire offense again. I don't, I don't know, but it, it, it's just not a very good offense to be a part of. 
Their offensive line was horrid last year. Uh, going all the way back to their draft, you know, they just missed in the draft. And free agency, Ron Leary was a good one. But their offensive line's in shambles. They're talking about releasing C.J. Anderson and, and looking for someone else at the running back position. There's just so many variables with this team. I don't think that there's any chance that Case Keenum has any fantasy viability outside of, like, a you know, if they're, they're in a, a phenomenal matchup. Most of them are Sanders. I mean, you wide receivers that are on the wrong side of 30. Carlos Henderson was drafted by this regime last year, uh, unfortunately missed the entire year. So I keep my eyes on him throughout the preseason. Carlos Henderson is fantasy can actually surprise uh, in fantasy football because if they bring him in a lot, we obviously know that Case Keenum developed chemistry with Adam Thielen, who played you know most of his snaps in the slot. But Demarius and Emmanuel Sanders are just boring players. I mean, they're the, they're the type of players where it's like if you're building your team full upside and you want some consistency, I think Demarius is that type. But Emmanuel Sanders, I'm, I'm out. Like, he's just been too boomer bust for me, and there, is not, there hasn't been very many booms. And it's not like Case Keenum throws the prettiest deep ball. So I, I just don't see very many big games coming out of Sanders, who is, I want to say, 32 years old now. So he should be trending downward. Like, that's the, that's the point we're at in his career. And Thomas... He is what he is. I think we know who Demarius Thomas is. doesn't matter really the quarterback at this point. He's just that, that low-end wide receiver, too. He's just not going to offer you very much upside, which is obviously not ideal in best ball. Yeah, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make two quick comments on this one. One is that, you know, to echo Mike Zimmer on Case Keenum, which guy are we going to see? Are we going to see the guy from last year, or are we going to see the guy with the Rams? I do think he's more talented than either of the quarterbacks they had last year, which gives me some hope to draft DT in the fifth where he is and Sanders in the eighth. But you, 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 I, you accurately portrayed some of the risk in doing it. Um, two other kind of guys who are very polarizing and whose moves were tied together were Jordy Nelson and Michael Crabtree. What are your thoughts on the move for both of these players? Uh, Crabtree should see uh, an increase in targets from what he saw in 2017. Uh, I think he was in the 110 range. Uh, so I expect him to go hit that 120, 125 mark with the Ravens. The issue is that how many touchdowns are really going to be able for him to score. I mean, you have Joe Flacco, who has just twice in his career thrown for more than 22 touchdowns. Uh, looking at the Ravens' pass catchers last year, they saw a combined, I think it was 29 red zone targets. Michael Crabtree in 2016, I think, saw 22 or 23 on his own. So there's obviously going to be a decline in some of the efficiency that he had. It's, it's not as good as an offense, but the volume is key there. When talking about Jordy Nelson, that's completely different. I don't like Jordy Nelson from a fantasy standpoint anymore. Uh, you know, being from Chicago, seeing all the Packers games, the Bears games, all that, I, I've seen Jordy Nelson for a long time, and I know what him and Aaron Rodgers have going together. It's the chemistry is it, it was second to none. The back shoulder throws, knowing exactly where he's at on the field, knowing what Rodgers wants to do, that made everything for Jordy Nelson. If you were to go watch his, like, 63 touchdowns over the last four seasons, five seasons they played together, half of them are back shoulder throws, timing throws. Derek Carr is not that great of a quarterback. I think we saw that, you know, last year we seen him take a step back. So this is a Raiders team that has Amari Cooper, who is expected to, just, you know, take a step forward in his career this year. The John Gruden offense, I mean, again, it's a new offense. Jordy Nelson's 33 years old. He slowed down towards the end of last year. And, no, it, it was not just without Aaron Rodgers. You have to actually look back into 2016 when Rodgers came back or when, when Nelson came off that ACL. He came back. His yards per reception was continually dipping. 
And people were like, well, he's coming back off the ACL. Even later in the year, it kept dipping further and further to where last year it was nine yards per catch is what he was doing. He's just not the same player. And going to Oakland, I don't know what they're doing because Seth Roberts was signed to a big extension last year. Jordy Nelson should be a possession slot receiver. I just They're not going to move Seth Roberts to the perimeter. They just traded away Corderell Patterson. I don't, I don't know what they're doing in Oakland. I don't know why Jordy Nelson was, was considered an upgrade over Michael Crabtree because at this point <laughs> in his career, he's just not. So yeah, I, Nelson, I, I don't I'm get out, it either. I, yeah. I, you know, I had interest in Nelson at the end of the fourth, early fifth in Green Bay because of that relationship that you talked about. Uh, I didn't expect, you know, he had six touchdowns in, I think, three games with Rodgers last year, which made his, you know, like 20 fantasy points a game. Uh, on average during those three games. Uh, you know, TD regression is, is even among guys that have that kind of chemistry was going to come. Uh, but I thought there was some upside in the late fourth, early fifth for Nelson. I'm out now, uh, just like you. And, and I agree. I, I was puzzled by the Gruden signing, you know, bringing a guy out of the booth 10 years later and a guy who, frankly, to me, when I listened to him on – you know, was more shtick than substance. Um, yep. But it, it's it's very, very curious what they're doing there, Mike. Yeah, it, it made absolutely no sense. And, and you know, I've, like I said, I've been a Jordy Nelson watcher and, like, uh, appreciator for a long time. And he's just – he's not the player that you think you're getting. I don't know what they think they're getting or, you know, if they – he should be at the Larry Fitzgerald point of his career where he should be relegated to the slot and that's it. He's got solid hands. He, he can still run routes but I just don't see the Raiders using him that way. Yep. And uh, we'll finish up, Mike, with one last question. You've already expressed a tremendous amount of love for Trey Burton as kind of an under-the-radar signing that could have great uh, payoff for its team. Are there any other lower guys that you either really liked the move or it really made you scratch your head? Um, well, there were a few. Uh, one of the big ones was Albert Wilson. You know, like he was someone I was curious to see where he would go. A lot of people tied him to the Bears, uh, taking over for Kendall Wright. But he ended up going to Miami, and it seemed like it was a fantastic landing spot. It seemed like you know he's going to walk into that Jarvis Landry role, and this guy's going to be really, really underappreciated in fantasy. But then they go out and sign Danny Amendola. I mean, <laughs> I don't know what they're doing there. I don't know why Danny Amendola would go and sign there after Albert Wilson went there. But that was a really, really question. That was a head-scratcher. Uh, then you had – you know, the whole Ryan Grant situation with the Ravens, which the failed physical, that's a joke. Um, but that was that, was, that would have been a mess of a signing. If Dante Moncrief going to Jacksonville, I mean, this is a guy who, who like, with Andrew Luck, he was, he was staying afloat with his touchdowns. He was never a yardage guy. He was never getting those yardage. And now he goes to Jacksonville on a one-year deal to make, you know, $9.6 million. Meanwhile, they, they re-signed Marquise Lee. They have D.D. Westbrook. You know, Keelan Cole came on towards the end of the season. Dante Moncrief, I, I don't know what he's thinking. I, I heard that Indy, that he wanted to go back to Indy, which would have been really, really good for his fantasy stock. But going to play with Blake Bortles in Jacksonville in a run-heavy offense, no thank you. Yeah, for me, the the the, the under-the-radar signing that, um, you know, with the caveat of if he can stay healthy is John Brown. Um, the man mm-hmm. has talent. He's got, you know, Joe Flacco has always thrown a pretty good deep ball. Um, so I, I think John Brown is a good late MFL guy to take a look at. And the guy that I was really disappointed because I own him a lot in season, you know, in dynasty leagues is Paul Richardson. I just thought, 
you know, going, you know, a deep, a deep guy going to a team where Alex Smith is the quarterback, just, you know, he got paid, but it wasn't the best landing spot. Mike, let's finish up by getting your thoughts on those two guys. Yeah, Paul Richardson, the, the fit there doesn't – it didn't really work for me. I, I don't know why he would have went and signed there, but, I, I mean, I do after seeing his contract. I mean, he got – it was a $40 million, I think, over five years. So that was that was one of the biggest contracts and the one that didn't really make too much sense. You know, you could talk about Tyreek Hill and, like, how Alex Smith threw a good deep ball last year, but you could also say that Alex Smith threw the ball up and he knew how to float the ball where it's like a guy with 4-2 speed can get under it. Paul Richardson might be fast, but he's not Tyreek Hill fast. You know, he's not getting yeah. separation like Tyreek Hill does. So I don't see Richardson being – I mean, I, I, I just don't – I don't like that signing very much at all. I'm kind of with you there. John Brown was, was such a favorite of mine. Um, I really liked watching him play. But, you know, this whole sickle cell thing, there's so much – you know, with, with where his draft stock is right now, I should say that he's actually a really good best ball target because what he does well, you know, going to get that deep ball, it, it fits with Joe Flacco really well, whereas Michael Crabtree isn't that guy. He's kind of that field stretcher that Mike Wallace was uh, taking his place. So if he could stay on the field, John Brown could be a steal uh, late in best ball leagues. And that's the thing is sometimes you'll see him go way, way down there. So picking him in one of your last five rounds wouldn't be the worst thing. The other day. I got him in the 18th yeah, round today in the draft. And, I mean, yeah, that's you know, you get two, three weeks out of him and you're, you're thrilled. Yep. <laughs> yep. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of the Fanball um, MFL 10 show. My guest again was Mike Tagliere, the lead writer and analyst for Fantasy Pros. Check him out on Twitter at Mike Tagliere NFL. One of the nicer guys you're going to find on Twitter. Mike, thank you so much for joining me. And that's going to do it for this episode of the Run to Daylight podcast. Thank you for joining me. If you have any questions or you just want to talk, you can find me on Twitter at Todd from PA, and that is Todd with one D. Good night, everyone.